Good evening. This is Patrick from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. And I never listen to Let's Talk About Tricks. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Welcome to week three of Earl Grey's Away Mission. Everybody, please keep Earl in your thoughts and pray that he makes it well and that his family member makes it well while he's on this Away Mission to, uh, to help and rescue them. And this week, Let's Talk About Treks has an amazing get here not in the studio with us for this episode. Hi everybody, Brian Kane here. I host on the Stardate, uh, a Star Trek podcast, uh, which will be coming back soon. And I'm happy to be here with Jack Dorino and talking about Lower Decks, overall Star Trek number 938. And for Lower Decks, it is, I believe, episode number 33. It is. Excited to be here. Just to give you fair warning, if you continue listening to this episode and you have not seen this episode yet, there is a possibility that you could meet with death and dismemberment. So um, uh, that is just a, a, a little a little piece of what we're in for. And I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming over and helping us out during this time. And I've really been uh, very interested in working with you. So it's for fortuitous. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that feels right to say, but I'm glad that this has worked out this way. And I'm really glad to have you here. Uh, we're part of a mutual admiration society. And I've been looking forward to working with you guys too. I really enjoyed the podcast. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun, and um, I'm, I'm just eager to get right into it. This episode, we're talking about Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 3. It's called In the Cradle of Vexilon. The writer for this episode was Ben Wallace, and it was directed by Brandon Williams. Yes, Brandon Williams. This is his directorial debut on Star Trek Lower Decks. He's been a storyboard artist, I believe, since the first or second season. Huh, okay. And he's done some really, really funny work on, on other shows. Do you know what other shows? Mortal Kombat Legends, Battle of the Realms, as well as Solar Opposites. Oh, Solar Opposites. Yeah. Is Mike McMahon part of that? I feel like they have like a crossover sometimes i feel like i saw rick in an episode of lower decks it was when we went to the planet with the algae and there was the octopus that could speak to it telepathically there was a guy they beat up outside in the courtyard and i swear that was rick with purple hair <laughs> i thought so too and you know my wife was the one who pointed that out it's weird to me when the episode opens and there's no there's no teaser we go like straight into the episode but because that happened it underscored for me that there was no continuance of that subplot where the little ship comes along and blows up you know somebody's little ship yes i do wonder if there was a point later in the episode that we visited that just briefly which i guess i can mention when we get somewhere around there i've always been curious to know what the motivations were on the part of the producers as to whether to have a cold open or whether to forego it. There was a couple of great opportunities there in the first act just out of the credits that could have worked as a teaser. Yeah, I think that, so there's basically like the two parallel, or three parallel stories here, right? So there's the hijinks with Fraser's little brother or whoever it is that they're messing with. Uh, Dirk, Dirk is a jerk, that guy. <laughs> and then there's the story on the planet with Freeman. 
right? And then there's also the part about the story with Boimler on the planet. Classic Trek. You have uh, you have the ship's story, and then you have the two planet stories. I mean, which really, if you think about it, it's, it's the framework that made First Contact such a fun outing. Is because you know you had both sides of the planet. You even had both sides of the ship. I mean, at times it could be three or four. This really felt like a classic Trek episode in that we were dealing with our primary characters overcoming significant challenges as a result of their new responsibilities. Namely, Boimler here. He's been promoted and he's not really knowing how to delegate responsibility. Yeah, I think that it's a thing about he feels responsible for that team but he doesn't feel by the end of the episode he gets to it but like he didn't feel responsible to that team you know because like as a leader you have a responsibility to encourage and build up your team so that everybody can you know be as strong as one another you can be a team stronger together like he's feeling responsible for them like a mother like he has to do stuff for them which is actually pretty disrespectful yeah yeah. Which is funny because he's trying to be respectful of them because they're forced to be respectful to him, I think is how he perceives it. You could look at it that way. You can also look at it as the fact, too, that he didn't believe in his own sense of authority. He worked hard to get this promotion, but now that he has it, it's kind of like, well, who am I to tell this person they have to do this or tell this person that they have to do that. That brings to mind something that I was thinking about Boimler throughout this episode, that he and Talyn are strangely similar. Like, I think that Boimler behaves very Vulcan-like. Mm -hmm. I just think his emotions get, like, if he didn't have the emotions, he would be very Vulcan-like. Yes, yes. I, I believe that too. There are two sides of the same coin. And you saw that in in the excellent chemistry that they had with each other. Talyn is such a great addition to this show. I mean, I can't stress enough how much I love having her around. And it's not just because I'm this, I mean, Spock is my favorite character in all of Star Trek and always has been. And I love Vulcans and always wanted to be a Vulcan. But Talyn, I mean, not only is she Vulcan, but she's also additional comic relief in a show that's already unhinged, which is great. She's kind of like the hinged part of it. <laughs> well, for me, I've had a deepening of my understanding of what Vulcans are and how Vulcans view themselves and how they are internally versus how they are externally. So mm -hmm. I tend to question the straightforwardness that Talyn gives, mm -hmm. and I always look for subtext. And what is she really saying? And is she really messing with him? Like, is he, like it, part of me says that like she was messing with him through this whole episode right because I don't think that okay so in the beginning right I don't think that he was overthinking anything like he was describing this like perfect situation that had that been the situation it wouldn't have been an episode right so she made him start worrying I don't think that he was doubting himself until she said something so it's almost like she was winding up him up and getting him anxious and his anxiety led him into this huge blunder <laughs> because toward the end it's her that then turns him back around this is true so if strange new worlds and experiencing spock in the way he is has has taught me nothing it tells me that vulcans know how they're coming off they're just they have to come off that way like this is who i am yeah i know whatever it seems that way to you but that has nothing to do with me i'm going to continue to be this way i don't care how you react or feel about it you know so like i feel like she knows that so she has to know 
that she's screwing with him. She was also curious to see what the outcome would be as a result of that. Yeah. I think that's the slight penetration of humanity that seeps into the best of our Vulcans, right? We we may need to have a conversation about Vulcans because my general take on Vulcans is that for them it's either about power or about avoidance. Well, she clearly had power over this situation. <laughs> it seemed that way to me. It, <laughs> it, like, it seemed as if she was pulling the strings. And Boimler, it, it, those are easy strings to pull. So maybe she's just like, maybe she's just getting started. Maybe she's a Romulan, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> no, she's saying, I've got Boimler on a string. <laughs> sitting exactly. on a planet. Got the string around my finger. No, she, um, like, she could definitely. She, I feel like the way that she turned him around there at the end, she could have done that at any time. At any time, before he was running from his fate, <laughs> his potential fate. He's well, he's he's so into Vulcans and so would like want to impress a Vulcan that he would listen to her. I wonder, and I wonder if she knows that as well, because she's hung out with Tendi a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And Tendi like yammer, yammer, yammers away. Yes. So she so may have fully prepared Talyn to be in this situation. Yeah, because they're both emotional extremes, Tendi and Weimler. Sure. And they're really not that far in the opposite spectrum. And maybe that's why we haven't seen them be around each other too much, because perhaps the scene with both of them together might be a lot. I mean, really a lot. Can you imagine if they had merged on that previous episode? I know. I'm oh, that would have been phenomenal. Track, but I can't even fathom that. It's like so much for my mind to fathom. But that's that's the one I would have fathomed. I think you'd end up with Angry Rutherford. That's <laughs> <laughs> what that, that cancels out to that. Yeah, I like that. Speaking of combining things, there was the whole room, right, where they had like all this stuff that they went to go gather. I think that we got pretty much a definition of everything. The one thing I was confused about was like the spire thing i thought it was the top of the church from discovery season two where they go down to like find some red angel stained glass or whatever that's what it looked like but then he talked about it's this thing that turned billups into a church tower or something i don't know do you think that the betazoid gift box is sentient I thought that when I first saw it in Haven. I thought that too, and I feel like there may have been a reference to the ability to feel emotions off of it. Mm -hmm. We haven't delved deep into this. Not sure we need to, but you know, it's almost like in the fact that it's a box, it's a reciprocal for the emotions of the people around it, because it seemed like the gift box was, to me, mirroring on an emotional, mental, and emotional level, the people that it was communicating. Um... I'm going to push back and say it was definitely reacting because I am 100% like, first of all, it was like, it was like, Rutherford, take me home with you, please. I want to go live with you. And Tendi's like, that's ah, not even alive for real. And it's like, fuck you, bitch. I'm like, wait, slow down. <laughs> he definitely cussed her out. Because she, because she said that he wasn't. That was reactionary. Like, how dare you? <laughs> In that regard, yeah, it was absolutely it made me wonder then like what would happen when i saw the all the stuff i was like what happened if you shine the inner light thing into it i'm glad that we answered that question later in that regard definitely but you know when we first saw, and maybe i'm thinking about haven you know i'm thinking about first season uh because if i if i remember correctly it seemed a little excited to see tasha yar which a lot of people were you know so i don't know <laughs> i guess they were that's but that's also reactionary not necessarily 
uh, a mirror reaction. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm just so uncertain about it. I'm just, I don't know which one's worse, being Moriarty or being a box. Well, the box can at least be off the holodeck. And this is well. So can Moriarty now, with 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 oh. the mobile emitter. Oh. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I kind of thought like we were gonna do that. I kind of when I saw the trailers for not to jump to the wrong show. Welcome to Let's Talk About Tracks. Today we're talking about Lower Decks, but we're gonna take a little side detour for a moment. There was, there was the Moriarty things in the trailer for Picard season three, and I was thinking, oh yeah, mobile emitter. And I thought like he got into the real world, and then like towards the beginning when the whole Vatic mess, whatever that was, was happening, I was like, oh, they must be trapped inside of a holodeck, and Moriarty's got them. But the trailer certainly fooled us into thinking that Moriarty was going to be a more significant part role, yeah. of the plot. And so when I saw that it was only an introduction, it was only an introduction to Data's mind. Yeah. And having watched it again right before mm -hmm. this call, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Lower Decks episode, what I loved about this is this, and I don't know, you can tell me if you agree, but this really felt like a Lower Decks bottle episode. Of course, we go to another new planet, and they're yeah. doing a very Star Trek type yeah, of thing. But it was just the cast. There was no cameos. There was uh, no other characters to take, really, from our main people that we're focusing on. Because so often, we're going back to Legacy Trek and Legacy Trek characters. Mm -hmm. And this was just a self-contained story within and about our characters. And that's what I mean by a bottle episode. I agree. I also think that it was, for this universe, a very unique sort of idea. I don't think we've yes. been to a Dyson ring before. I mean, yes. we've been to Halo before, but we, I mean, I don't think in Star Trek we've been to what is actually the original invention Dyson wrote down, which was a ring. Yeah. And it was beautifully animated. It was. It was awesome. And the fact that we had like a small planetary group that we interacted with, and then we had the computer that we interacted with, but it was really mainly just focused on our characters. And, you know, the rest was just get, getting information. I'm thinking largely of the scenes with Freeman, mm -hmm. especially because, like I mentioned earlier, I think that there was a touchstone to that mysterious craft in this episode there was a part where freeman mentions that she, in starfleet academy that she majored in archaic technology <laughs> which is funny that that's even a category <laughs> it is i do wonder if that's part of the running thread because there was no mention of it and there was no piece in an ending scene or an opening scene and i'm wondering if that's the piece of that plot line that runs through this episode maybe it's some sort of archaic technology i mean because it just seems odd to make it her major in starfleet academy like to make it such an important piece of her backstory as opposed to just like you know she got a's in it she could have they could have said that but she said that yeah they majored in it and i just wonder if that means something i might be thinking too deep on it hey you know i mean they've conditioned us to think this way where they've conditioned us to expect something from nothing and yeah. it, this really feels to me like one of those lines that was just meant to get a chuckle there might not be anything to it because how do you get to be a captain of a starship if that was your major unless they think that lowly of california classes which i take personally because i'm a Californian. 
but um <laughs> i mean what was picard's major archaeology <laughs> like so not archaic technology but old rocks <laughs> <laughs> who are they sending out there they're, they're sending people out there they're not sending their best no i'm kidding <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i'm joking um well according to the way we, we classify california classes maybe perhaps that's true but it really just felt like one of those lines that was meant to get a chuckle yeah it is lower decks after all there's lots of lines like that and it's kind of like rutherford uh the whole plot with him not getting promoted did we need that? But it's television, you know? Um, so in, in, in the scheme of television, perhaps we did need it. And for the comedy. So there's sometimes I feel like there's things that, that they attempt to do that come out entirely wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to talk about any early TNG episodes. But I think that this was actually an intention to put Rutherford up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. But the story that they appeared to tell was how Rutherford got left behind. But I don't think that that was their intention. So they were trying to tell one way, but then it ended up being backwards? Well, maybe, okay, so I'm, I'm turning my own thoughts around on this. <laughs> so now that, because we didn't get any hints to that, it tells me that they didn't- They didn't think about it. Yeah, so that means we were just telling a story about Rutherford being left behind for something. That doesn't even make sense actually no i think that's why no. my brain wasn't accepting it i was like no they must be doing something else <laughs> we weren't buying it but can we just talk about how funny the idea of scanning thousands of individual isolinear chips yeah in an isolinear chip room is i gotta tell you so tendy of all people saw that it was hazing right up front mm-hmm. because aren't there scanners aren't there like shipboard scanners wesley was using and I wasn't he using an IP scanner in evolution or was he just using a tricorder I feel like he was using that big one that looks like it's got a it's a pole it's got a flashlight at the top that was called an IP scanner on the uh, playmates toys I don't know presumably you you have this Wesley I actually uh, did have every Wesley crusher from playmates um, and he had a this big scanner and i think i want to say he was using it in evolution okay you know the third season next gen episode where we first saw a big isolinear chip room where he's searching for nanites that he loves. where out. he's searching for nanites because once yeah. again he's trying to kill everyone <laughs> this is just his mo yet another wesley starting to kill everyone episode well that that one sticks out to me because you know it's got my my one of my favorite characters from scrubs dr bob kelso you know uh um, Ken Jenkins from Scrubs, Scrubs fame, which, you know, he gave a great turn as the guy who likes baseball because, you know, there were no sports that were more interesting between baseball and, and what, what would occur in the 24th century. All sports go away, actually, after a while. I mean, Prusy Squares didn't really work. You know, football no. and the, the traumatic brain injury, it's really not good for us eventually it'll go away and then you know tennis you have to use rackets and who's got rackets in space these are these you have to you have to play sports that can survive in a space station where there's no gravity well you know i mean they had that arena and those mats and the uh, original series with you know those cool delta spandex that kirk wore that we never saw again yeah so i'm I'm figuring you know these guys must have been into some some athleticism must have existed and Um, but um but we think all the way back to baseball we had water polo for a little while that was fun 
for like three people. I mean, we've at least kept alive the idea of the instant replay, as you'll notice in Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1, Episode 1. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tool we still readily employ. So, you know, there's holdovers from the world of sports. Right. Just like there are holdovers in computer systems. This is a very typical, like, a few years ago issue with like your cell phone like the the OS needs to update so it's got to restart I, I, yeah it's archaic technology I remember back when my phone had scrolls and it had to restart well wait hold on it still restarts every time it updates it still does and uh, I, I just love that Ransom sounded like this art major looking at these statues as he's coming down to this planet I just I loved that I feel like we could have done more with that I wanted more of Ransom as an art connoisseur <laughs> I went over that scene like multiple times this is one of the few scenes of the episode that I went over multiple times because I was trying to see the difference between the art. There was no, that was the funny part. But when he first squinted, didn't you think he was going to say they were the same? Well, yes, of course. But for a while, I actually did convince myself that there were differences between the two. Because like I said, I went, I really did. I rewound and played and rewound and played and rewound and played because I wanted to see them go from one to the other. And uh, they're not different at all. And furthermore... <laughs> If they were different and some of them were crap, why do they also have brass plates on them? Wouldn't you maybe not put the brass plates on the bad ones? So I guess, yes, this is me trying to convince myself <laughs> that there were bad ones. It was like a card scroll in Insurrection, you know. Perhaps they have hundreds of years before these make it among, amongst the artisans. This is true. <laughs> they, can, they can slow every moment and appreciate each breath. Yes, yes. Which is actually what it seems like the cadets are doing. The cadets. They seem like cadets, right? Like the ensigns that are hanging out with Boimler. Like they're just mm-hmm. chilling out. They're relaxing. I think this is partly on them. <laughs> yeah. Like, because imagine, like, if it was Boimler, he'd be trying to do. He, he hasn't changed, right? Like, he's just in a yeah. situation where, like, nobody else is doing anything. Like, everybody's just sitting around he's sitting there doing all these things and nobody's doing anything and if it were Rutherford and Tendi and Mariner and Talyn, well, maybe not Talyn, then they would be jumping in and helping him. They'd be like, whatever, Mariner, shut up. We're going to help you. Like, It seems to me that there's a lack of initiative in these uh, ensigns. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the problem. Well, you know, if you go back, that's another classic Trek trope, right? You know, you go back to the original series and you have certain crew members who start kind of cracking up, for lack of a better word. They kind of start to crack. They kind of start to shatter under the pressure. We're not meant to be out here. It's dangerous in space. Yes. (laughs) What are you doing? You know, that's kind of a continuity of these secondary characters that are not our main characters. Our main characters are the ones with the initiative. And these other ensigns are kind of stepping aside for our gallant uh, heroes to step in and save the day Star Trek style. That is kind of what that felt like. And, And it was necessary for Mariner and Boimler to be apart so that he could rise to the occasion on his own. It was uh, necessary for them to have no initiative also so that he could find it in him to be a real leader. I mean, it was in him all along, but perhaps Talim was actually the one who reminded him of that. Yes. 
that part right there. I was just going to say I'll see you on that and raise you to Lynn because I think that to Lynn additionally had to be there for him to be able to go through this because I think that it would have gone differently were it not for her influence on the situation. Absolutely. And could you just imagine if Mariner would have been there? She would have been like, cut the bullshit, you know, let sure. them do their job. Yeah. If she would have been on the planet, she probably would have saved the day. Well, I don't... Had she been on the planet, would she have saved the day? Hmm. Seems to me she would have took it from her mom, or her mom and her would have argued. That could have... that or Actually, that could have uh, appended things if she was with her mom. Yeah. If she was with Boimler, how would that have differed? I was thinking about, yeah, I think that if she were with her mom, nothing would have been solved. <laughs> and I think if she were with Boimler, she wouldn't have let people sit around. Mm -mm, no. Not at all. And she would have been more direct about it. Like, to, that's the thing about Talyn. Like, Talyn, like, sort of led him through the whole thing, but she didn't lead him through, like, in a kind way. She, like, led him through in a manipulative way, right? Like, Mariner would have been, would have said, no, like, do this. <laughs> like, and she would have, like, been barking orders and, you know, making sure that things got done. Like, and would have been straightforward about it, I think. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about you, but I laugh abnormally hard at uh, clouds turning to glass and falling on people on the planet. I don't know why that disaster just set me into a fit of laughter, but... <laughs> it was terrifying, and it took me to, a little while to think about it, but I guess, are they clouds that as they fall are turning to ice because it's coming down so, so fast? Is that... <laughs> because, like, normally they would come down like fog, right? But yeah. maybe if it's so cold and they're coming down that quickly, then maybe they would just turn right to snow. I feel like with all those crystals that fallen from the sky, we should have ended up with at least a fortress of solitude somewhere. Agreed. Agreed. I definitely was expecting uh, Castle, not Castle Grayskull. What's the other one? Like the one that's, the, what's the snake? There's like a snake. Oh, I'm now I'm thinking of Aladdin. Hold on. Now I can't keep it straight. Which picture I'm thinking of in my head. <laughs> hey, to your point, they did. Yeah. Mike McMahon did say that they were going to start. Was it Mike McMahon or was it somebody else? It might've been Barry Allen on uh, Trek web who said that I think, or Trek movie, excuse me, that they were going to, they were going to start doing non Star Trek references as well. And I feel like there's, and, and this is not me saying I saw anything, but I feel like there was a couple of things in uh, there that were references to something that I should have known, but didn't. Interesting. And I felt like that was in uh, Boimler's consciousness on the way to death. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I was a little bit confused by that. Like, I mean, of course, the koala, but it seemed like there were elements there that were there for a reason. Like, why would we have that scene if not to fill it with something exactly exactly like i'm like somebody somebody else is gonna see it and they're gonna know they're gonna be like that's that's so and so or that's this movie or that tv show i didn't know what it was i mean of course we all recognize the koala which i thought was funny but just that setting there's something oddly familiar about it there was and i'm gonna be racking up my brain about that forever because i don't know what it was if somebody knows what that is can you please reach out on twitter uh you can find me at astrologernaut you can send us an email at email at let's talk about treks.com or you can send us a voicemail at 202569 trek why don't we 
since I did all that. Why don't we take a little break? Uh, I think we're gonna do a commercial. Gallifrey is gonna join me for the cocktail that the Scorch 1701 has made for this episode, and then we will come right back. How's that sound? Sounds good. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jack from Two Minute Trek. I watch Shrek with my dad, and then we review it in two minutes. So, if you'd like your podcast to be shorter than a trip on a turbo lift, search up Two Minute Trek wherever you listen to. Let's talk about tracks. Rustling papers, rustling papers. Always a pleasure. So uh, this week we're here to sample yet another of the Scorch's wonderful cocktails, this time for the new season of Lower Decks. Bench Press Paradise? That is it. It's featuring Commander Jack Ransom. Why don't you tell us what's in this cocktail? All right, we got four ounces of pre-made vanilla protein shake, Mm -hmm. two ounces of coconut rum, one ounce of banana liqueur, one ounce of peach snaps, frozen pineapple chunks, frozen peach chunks, and maraschino cherry full garnish. That is it. So, I am now doing the shaker part. You wanna go through the uh, instructions for our listeners? Yeah, place a frozen peach slice and a few pineapple in chilled glasses, combined rum, banana liqueur, and peach snaps, and a shaker filled with ice. Shake vigorously for 30 seconds. Strain equally into glasses over the frozen peaches and pineapples. Top with protein shake. Stir. Garnish with a curry. Okay, so here we go. So what do you think so far? Uh, I don't know. You don't know what you're doing. I'm bad at protein shake and liquor, and then I'll be working out with being drunk. I think we're. I think it's both, apparently. There we go. Any thoughts? Just curious to see what it's going to taste like. It looks thick. It does look very thick. <laughs> okay, let's give it a try. Fruity eggnog. Yeah. yeah, not bad at all. I don't think I've had banana liqueur before. Oh, yes. Pretty tasty. You know, I have to always go on a hunt when the Scorch provides these cocktails. This time I had to find the, uh, this was the banana liqueur, it's the last one they had. They had to go find, and they had to go find the peach snobs in the back. Because oh. apparently everybody likes peach snobs, so they're all, they're all out of it mostly. Mm. The coconut rum is what it called for. This is coconut cream liqueur, but you'll notice it also says Puerto Rican rum on the bottle, so I'm calling it coconut rum. Okay. That's by Bacardi. Okay, Bacardi. Um, I like this. Is it your favorite of the season so far? Uh, yeah, yeah. This is pretty, pretty tasty though. Does it, does it make you, does it give you like a holidays vibe? Yeah, uh, Christmas, work party, vibes, you know? Okay. Mm. So that would be your setting? 
Mm-hmm. This may be the first cocktail that we've done where you have finished the cocktail before we finish recording. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good. Um, I didn't expect it to be that good. Like all the flavors together was really, really something special. Okay. Magical. Uh, so suppose someone held your arm behind your back and forced you to rate this drink on a scale of say one to I don't know ten. I'd give it a nine. Okay. What do you think could push it up uh, that one notch to a ten? Um, never. It's a, it's a solid nine. Give it a solid nine. Does it remind you of anything at all? Christmas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so out of the three that we tried so far, uh, the Boimler's 31 Swish and the Moopsie and now uh, the Bench Press Paradise, which would you say you like the best? Um, this one, the Bench Press Paradise. Okay. All right. So we're looking forward to uh, to next week's and uh, and we will see you when that comes around. All right. Thanks for coming around again. It's always fun. Thanks for having me here. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are still here discussing Star Trek Lower Deck Season 4, Episode 3 in the Cradle of Exelon. My name is Jack Dorino, still. And I am still Brian Kane. Thank you for joining us again. So the the cocktails, I, I don't know if you've seen these, but they're by the Scorch 1701. Uh, this week's cocktail is was Commander Jack Ransom's Bench Trust Paradise, which was, there's a lot of stuff to it. <laughs> There was uh, there was like coconut rum and banana liqueur and um, fruit and vanilla protein shake, you know, because ransom. Wow, it's very interesting. It's uh, it's like ransom, it, uh, and I think you. This is a quote from you last week. He speaks bro. He does. It's like ransom, and that it speaks bro. I yeah. think that's the, about the beverage. It's like a cocoa no no. Right, right, right. Um, what happens if you shoot the inner light through the Wadi game? I'm not sure at the gift box huh that is a lot to think about do you think the gift box would give you your wildest dreams that you never knew you had (laughs) (laughs) either that or knowing lower decks it could completely manifest itself in a violent and unpredictable way i wonder if you could bring things out from the inner light through the box that could be a whole episode like because you brought they brought the they brought the flute out right Mm -hmm. wait did they bring the flute out How'd the flute get there? I've forgotten. Did that flute get there? I don't remember. What was that song? <laughs> Are you talking about uh, how did he end up with the flute? Yeah. Just as a result yeah. of that. Um, that is a good. Wow. Just like I was like, how did Janeway get that necklace? Didn't she trade it for the weapon? Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. So how how like... have I seen this so many times and never <laughs> asked myself that question? <laughs> I just that's never had I've never asked myself sometimes people just like end up with stuff and I'm like how did but wait <laughs> how'd you get that <laughs> anyway uh this we are let's go back to lower decks wait. <laughs> <laughs>
wait, wait. <laughs> like, was he using it in the thing? So how did it? You can't. Can you take things off the? You can take a disease off the holodeck. So I guess if their thing is even more super advanced holodeck, you can take things off of it. They beamed it into his quarters. So why didn't you just bring all? He just should have brought all the people out. <laughs> Please, <laughs> oh, Luke, you brought the wrong thing. Look, you, you just, you just dropped this huge question on me. If you could get the flute out, why didn't you bring your son? <laughs> oh. Hey, I did what you wanted. I stayed away. But you just dropped this big question on me. I'm still trying to figure out how they wound up with Nomad on on uh, on lower decks. Like, wasn't Nomad destroyed? Yeah, I think they built another Nomad that was probably Nomad too. I feel like I've seen Nomad previously in the lower decks. Now I'm gonna have to go back and look because I'm I'm I probably have and didn't re- and don't remember. <laughs> but I'm you know you dropped this like whole other thing now on me <laughs> that I have to think about for the next for the last you know where was I for the last thirty years and like... that. Like, wait, how did he wind up with that? <laughs> did Moriarty give it to him? How do, How in the world? <laughs> and and that's that's really the bigger question. I'm doing the wrong episode. We're doing the wrong episode now. But that that's really the bigger question. I'll leave everyone to think about this question until we get around to actually doing the episode, The Inner Light, in about 10 years. But the bigger question is, <laughs> now that you've proven that you can bring the flute out, shouldn't you send someone back in there to bring the people out? Well, would they want to come out? Did they want to die on their home? Did they want to die in their home world? Are you saying that they wanted extinction? Hey, it worked for the Kryptonians. <laughs> no, it didn't. There's one left, and then there's a cousin, and then there's the general, and then there's his henchmen, and then there's all the computers, and then really, if you go to the Fortress of Solitude, his dad's there too, and his mom's there too, and like all his uncles, cousins, and brothers. They're just like in AIs in the computer. You could just put them, bring them out, put them in a golem, and have them walking around. It's really, really not gone. It got them all their Earth residency. Not even the Time Lords are gone. They said uh, they are all gone, and they were just hiding. What? They were hiding? <laughs> yeah, but I hit them. <laughs> he got them all their planet Earth residents. Uh, you know, he had to come first, then he got them resident, you know, citizenship. Yeah. He had to get them uh, Earth citizenship, so he had to come here first. Well, did he come here first? You know, in, I, in some retellings, she got here first. In some retellings, he never got here because <laughs> because he was killed by General Zod on his way here, and then there was just her here. I like the one where he was caught in a traffic jam. That's why he couldn't get here. Wait, I don't know that one. I'm just, I'm fucking with you. Oh. I'm totally fucking with you, but no. So I suppose we should get back to Lower Decks at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so engaging. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with this episode. This episode's a really good episode. I think that this constant derailment is more a function of our first interaction because 
-hmm. curtain drop like we haven't really uh interacted thusly uh before which is why it means so much to me to to have you here and you know to be able to you know get into stuff with you this way uh so uh apologies to everyone else <laughs> we're just over here likewise. having our own little show <laughs> I, i'm having a great time yeah likewise back to lower decks the, okay so they said that uh, uh, uh what's his name fats bizertak uh, overdosed on Ketracel White, which, you know, obviously that gives you the the whole, like, uh, you know, jazz musician in an alley sort of, like, picture. Um, other species can take Ketracel White. So do you think that Ketracel White always has, like, a drug and addictive thing? Or do you think that, like, there's some species you can give it to and it'll be, like, a regular hormone? Did the gym, were the Jim'Hadar getting high? Or was that just a hormone for them? You know, the lower decks interpretation raises questions on that and that was the same thing my wife and i said to each other so i said ketracel white can get anybody high well the original reaction that i saw when they all got that creative ketracel white on deep space nine it looked like the same reaction that the ornarans maybe had on oh, symbiosis yes. it was yes. like a very similar reaction where it was like right oh and it's like wait <laughs> Because the it did look to me in that episode, it looked to me like the Vorta was controlling them with drugs. I think if we're talking, I don't remember the name of the episode on Deep Space Nine, but if we're talking about the one particular episode where there isn't enough white and they're worried about what these people are going to do when they don't get it, I always looked at that as withdrawal symptoms which was what we saw the Onarans going through in that symbiosis episode. Right. We saw them more at the stage where they were getting it when they needed the relief of, of having it. They hadn't yes. had it in a, in a while. And because we're seeing it that way, it informs us, uh, okay, this is obviously soothing and relieving. This is something that their biology has become accustomed to and they need it to survive. But I think when you, we get so caught up in that, not only do we forget what the, for me personally, I forget what the, uh, what the actual drug, what it actually does to them. Right. We get just so caught in the, oh, they need it. Right. Like with any drug, obviously, you know, if you don't see, but the difference is, is that if you stay away from drugs in real life, you, you <laughs> yes. get away from it, obviously you're going to have withdrawal symptoms, you're not going to die. But Ketracel White, they're saying they need it to survive. So are the Arnarns. There's an interesting set of novels that happen uh, post Deep Space Nine season season seven. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that happens is the Jim Hadar send a rep they send a representative. I forget how he gets there. I think they originally they sent a representative because they were trying to do like diplomatic overtures or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they sent this guy Tyranitar, who had somehow aged longer. He was the oldest Jim Hadar, mm -hmm. and he had at one point in his life gone through something that. Uh, reminds me sort of of Saru where like he didn't need the Ketracel White anymore like it started I think it started making him sick and he was like basically like the Jem'Hadar who you could reason to reason with and talk to so that I, I bring that up because I make it uh, because I wonder is it one of those things because Jem'Hadar generations are short and I don't think they have any females like is it one of those things where like they're generally engineered to require the whites so that they can be controlled by the founders who didn't they they genetically engineered all those people right the vorta and the jim hadar 
Like the Vorta were like living in trees, like tree creatures or something? I believe so. And when you put it that way, it makes more sense. I, I think I agree with you in that perhaps they were genetically engineered. And that's where the novels, you know, even though the novels aren't considered canon, that's where the yeah. novels really discuss these things more than the television episodes and del delve into this more than the, the TV episodes do and, and as much as we would like to see. Yeah. Obviously, Lower Deck says that everybody, Lower Deck seems to have, you know, put forth the argument that everyone has the same uh, effect from, from Catch Yourself White. Oh, okay. There's something about that that's bugging me, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Oh, it, I, it's, it's a it's a worthy uh, it's a worthy question. It's an interesting question, or a, an interesting discussion. Um, it also it also could be another throwaway line. Well, this is fair. This is fair. I was yeah. Sometimes I just, just get stuck on things, just like Dirk is stuck on stupid when Rutherford <laughs> is clearly bounding about. In it. I think that I think that Dirk knows oh. that Rutherford is there. Like, I think as they were approaching, like, Mariner's being super obvious, right? Like, she's like, oh, let's do something somewhere else real quick. And he's like, oh, yeah, we'll just go. We'll go to my quarters. Yeah, you come and walk with me. Walk me to my quarters, I guess, apparently. And then, like, I think as he's coming up, he can hear, like, Rutherford is moving around a Wadi box and inner light probe and the Betazoid box and then like all the rigging that they put all that stuff up with right so he's probably making a lot of noise as he's strapping that stuff to his body and then like you can hear doors slide open like even if he turned around right but you could like you could hear the door open so I, I kind of feel like he knows that he's there which really just makes their whole hazing thing like even deep it's even more sinister it's diabolical it is I mean I, I really loved the whole old school sitcom feel to that whole thing you know the sitcoms that we grew up with three's company and all these crazy shows that had these crazy situations that you could equally shoot holes through just as easily as you shot holes through that i think that three's company that. is lower decks or lower decks oh. is three's company okay so then i'm going to need people to start coming in at the tail end of conversations and getting those things wrong. But Marin ooh, Mariner did it last episode. This is true. <laughs> this is true. I've got to go back and watch it again. I completely forgot. All I'm thinking about yeah. is, uh, is is Jack saying to Christy, okay, Christy, let's get in the tub so we can get it on. Uh, yes. It won't fit. Duh, you have to unroll it first. <laughs> yeah, that's a 100% Lower Deck style conversation. Absolutely. That's something that you hear from the holodeck. <laughs> Just before somebody has to go in and clean out the holodeck waste. Yes. Oh, I guess I guess we won't have to do that anymore for the Lower Decks team. I, I wonder how far we're going to move up during the course of the series. I guess we can only go so far without bringing in a new a new set of Lower Decks folk. So do you think maybe for the final season they'll become more senior in the staff? I thought about that. I think that we what we might see or what I would kind of hope to see is like a flash forward to where they have like everyone's a chief in their thing. Like Mariner and Boimler are first officer and captain and then like Rutherford's chief engineer and Tendi's chief side, you know, of some other ship or the Cerritos. Like a flash forward in time to where this is, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it. We, they talk about it on Strange New uh, 
another Star Trek show, Strange New Worlds. There's another Star Trek show? <sighs> Man, I'm telling you, there's another and another and another, and there'll be another and another. Yeah. But, uh, you know, everybody talks about that just becoming the original series. What becoming the original? I'm lost. Strange New Worlds. Uh, what do you mean becoming? Do you mean overwriting or just like threading into? Yeah, threading into, okay. just kind of rolling, you know, maybe for the final season or final few episodes. Sure. You know, I've heard Chris Fisher say that. Maybe we'll just do the original series, yeah. where it was a quote from uh, from Chris Fisher. I could see I could see them doing that. I think that would be interesting. Make a whole sector of fans uh, upset, but yeah. I also think that another option that I have maybe detected or had the perspective of something they might be doing which is like just overwriting what's been before because the the Romulan Sarah set and the whole con thing like was out of time and then Sarah was like um I, I've this is supposed to happen 30 years ago and I've been stuck here trying to fix this so I'm like well how did she get that wrong she didn't she actually didn't get it wrong because that's that's con con shouldn't be a child in 2023 mm -mm. con should be taking over the world right. so the original series knows that yes so something happened and it's changed things so my only question is are we gonna overwrite or are we going to thread through i have a i have a hypothesis i would love to hear it i call it also a nightmare scenario um personally oh, oh no but i feel like Star Trek may try to dip its toes into a multiverse thing. Um, That's my nightmare scenario. You have multiple Pikes, you have multiple Pikes, um, you have multiple Kirks, you have multiple uh, Spocks. That, and you already have it because you have uh, the uh, Kelvin universe, you have the Prime universe. What if the Prime universe splintered as a result of something that happened on Strange Worlds? Do I want it to happen? No. But do, am I fearful that it might? Yes. What if it's because of something that happened on Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks? Like, what if that portal was supposed yeah. to be different or something? Or no, it would have had, had to have been before that. Before that episode, yes. Yeah. And, and namely that episode where we meet Khan as a child. You had something there, and that's what brought that hypothesis of mine back to the surface. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to figure out what it is right now, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm stuck on this whole, that whole thing. And then there, we did the time thing on lower decks and it's almost as if there's something brewing that they're not talking about. Thank you. What, like, if, what if, what if it is that? Okay. What so if? my, my thought about multiverses is like, I'm okay with them. Mm. Um, I'm okay with doing Star Trek multiverses because We've been doing Star Trek multiverses all this time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I saw parallels. I saw the mirror universe in three different series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I saw another wild ass universe that they created on Picard for some reason to make a season two. Shh, don't talk about that season. <laughs> and then, do you remember the short tracks Calypso with Aldous Hodge in it? Yes, it was brilliant. I loved so, it. That's that happens after Zora's been sitting there for a thousand years. So is that in the thousand years past where Burnham is now, or is that at the same time in a different time uh, universe? 
that could be tied into a multiverse as well. Time was changed in 1984 when Kirk came and did, time was changed in the 60s when McCoy came and did his thing. Maybe Edith Keeler wasn't supposed to. No, wait, no, because that brought Hitler. Wait, hold on. Oh, yeah. Hold careful. Okay, Tom- Keeler tomorrow was is yesterday. T- uh, uh, tomorrow is yesterday uh, is another one. All our yesterdays? Yes. Are you? Are we talking about where we meet the meet the soldier in 1967 or 1966? Correct. Which is funny because the other episode with the Romulan Sarah in Strange New Worlds is called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and within Shakespeare, those are one line. Uh, it's Macbeth, I think. Tomorrow and tomorrow yes. and tomorrow, all our yesterdays. Very nice piece of reeling, laddie. I, I was thinking that they were doing that on purpose and I couldn't figure out what it could mean but I'm glad that we've had this conversation because I'm seeing that hmm, they're both time stuff both of those episodes and they are they can't have not known that they were putting a title right next to another title in like Shakespeare like to give like some particular context something something is going on we see this Alex (laughs) We see it, and you know, and we also see one of your titles, Context is King. You know, just to hang on something you said a moment ago about the mirror universe, I just need to know this from you. I need to know this from you. And it's going to be the first of millions of questions I ask you over the next several lifetimes. Sounds good. Which series did the mirror universe better, in your opinion? I want to know. Uh, So what I want to say is Deep Space Nine. What I have to say is that it's not a fair competition to compare early 2000s treks to early 90s treks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because stylistically, Discovery does an incredible version um, yes. with their ability to mirror things from no i didn't even mean that one to uh, reflect things from our original inception of the mirror universe in the original series and like amp them up in their own way like that that was great also the clear brutality of the like it really drove home it really seemed like the Nazi universe, like very much so. And it was very like well-directed, you know, like the, when people were supposed to be doing salutes on time, they were doing them, you know, it's just an improvement over the, the original series. There's a reason for that. Um, so mm-hmm. like it looked the best and I liked some of the situations, you know, like eating Saru's ganglia, like, come on, come on. <laughs> but, but like, but really I liked the way that the Mew universe operated um, especially in conjunction and the familiarity with the prime universe in Deep Space Nine. Like, I liked those stories. I like those. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I like those stories better. Like, Discovery's Mirror Universe was like, it was all about being on the Mirror Universe. But as with the rest of Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine's Mirror Universe was like about the politics and about the depth and about the people and about what was going on there. You know, like, I was, yes. it was like a fuller story. You know what I mean? It was so good. It was so rich and fulfilling. I mean, I, I can't get enough of that. Sometimes I'll just put on Deep Space Nine just to watch some of the Mirror Universe episodes. I enjoy really anything that takes the characters in, which is weird. Like, I, I'm, you're supposed to enjoy these characters for who they are, not who they're not. 
<laughs> but I do like taking the characters away from their familiar settings and put them putting them in new and interesting situations, which is why I love Remember Me, which has actually nobody in it but one person. And I love um, Parallels. That whole, like, it's just every permutation of Worf. Like, that's great. Like, <laughs> just, I can't imagine anything better. Um, so don't tell anybody, but I also occasionally like a good old holodeck episode that we're like fully in, you know? Oh, oh, you know what was really, oh my gosh, my favorite, uh, change people to change people in weird situations or change them to who they're not or, you know, do something weird with them was, uh, I don't know the title of it, but it's when Dax had to do her Yantara and we got Curzon Odo. Oh. But like all of her previous hosts were in the rest of the cast, and yes. Kurt, and Odo took Curzon, and he was he didn't want to he he became a Tuvix like he didn't want to not be Curzon Odo anymore like it took some doing to get them separated again, and uh, I think we some somebody was a Alita was the gymnast, but just like taking him out and doing different stuff with them i think it's the same idea of what i'm thinking of and you know it makes perfect sense because we're being star trek fans we are spoiled because we get to see our favorite characters our favorite actors playing these characters and various iterations of them by virtue of how the universe is written and constructed we always got exposed to alternative versions of our favorite characters and you know my favorite of course you know uh, one of my favorites which is the first really is captain kirk's uh, transporter dump you know in the enemy within i love that episode so much i do and i think it's only because of ah, Kirk. you know <laughs> i i just love it and i love shatner so i, I a little little bias there but i love that it's funny because like every time I every time I'm thinking oh let's get back on track and then like and then someone will say something and then the first thing that is said takes us way off somewhere else. Yes, that is that is true. Vexilon is safe until about a thousand years in the future. Do you think that we might revisit Vexilon on Discovery? I don't know. They've got one season left. I mean, maybe that's the treasure they're supposed to be finding in season five of Discoveries. They're looking for Vexilon. Maybe uh, maybe that's where everyone on Discovery retires. They're all just going to go and live on Halo. They're going to go, they're going to, you know, they're going to find peace, joy, and fulfillment. <laughs> it's late for both uh, of yeah, us. Yeah, so I might be getting... Them, we're just delirious we're we have we're falling out of the air and rolling across the ground like a boimler did he really i thought the man was dead you know i thought he was i thought he was it was going to be one of those well it was actually right wasn't he like dead for a minute but i was like wait that was really graphic like he flew through the air and bounced and like usually we wouldn't do something like that unless we really really meant it like the last time we did that to somebody she didn't come back until like season three and then she went back in time and had a romulan daughter like he, yeah. he got bumped and rolled and like he got thrown out of a train and you know and and that was actually much better than being thrown by a pit of printer's ink and metamucil so i think i'd rather the metamucil it's 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 even it's even greater of a death but i guess his doesn't even count as a death does it no it just counts as one of those silly 
Why even say he's dead? Thankfully, there was nobody there to say, you know, he's dead, Jim. But do people die? I don't think people die on Lower Decks. I, I feel like that's not possible. Because we had the whole Shaxx thing. Well, you know, Bridge Crew always comes back. I love that. I gotta tell you, I love that joke. We haven't even discussed it. Like, we're just like, okay, yeah, that's just what it is. <laughs> I love that line, and I gotta tell you, as silly as it is, I love that gag. I'm, so what? Bridge Crew always comes back. That is the fact. I just, statement. I love that. He is correct. I love that so much because it makes fun of the fact that Star Trek really, truly doesn't kill off any of its characters that would, I mean, the most impactful death of all was Spock. And he's back in the very next film because Leonard Nimoy wanted to direct. Right. You know, it's kind of like Data. Data, Brent Spiner wanted to bail on Star Trek when he saw the franchise dying. Now it's back and it's, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, it's, it's looking like it's got a pulse again. I want to come back. You know, there's some scratch in this for me. I feel like their personalities are very similar. Well, they're, they're actors. So in that... In okay. that actors want to be relevant, particularly to the fans and the franchise that established them. They're, they want to maintain some relevance. And I think that both of them were typecasts. Well, and certainly Leonard, uh, Leonard Nimoy, I think, had a, a more rich and fulfilling career. I think probably Brent Spiner did, but Brent is typecast. And I think that, I mean, if we want to bring him back as something, I mean... Does it have to be Data or a version of Data or another Soong? I don't need any more Soongs. I mean, it has to be. We're not going to get any more, though. I think they're finished with that. I think Picard Season 3 was the end of an era. It was also the end of a style of Star Trek storytelling. I, I do think so. I, I think that I might be okay with that. It seems that we often do that one last thing and it's just like a little bit too much. Well, you know, what bothers me is that you have a cast that has three swan songs and Patrick Stewart and LeVar Burton are still coming back and they're what, what a reunion movie? They, I'm sorry, say say it again. They want to, Patrick Stewart has said in recent interviews that he he's not done playing Picard. Yes, you are, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's it, Holmes. Like the car, that, that was the, you got, you were playing poker. Like you guys are done. That's it, because like take us out. Because for real, <laughs> um, similar to the fact that Harry Kim died, Picard also died. He's gone, guys. Like let's oh. let's keep it keep it moving. And he came back as a sin. He was forgiven by the universe for what he for what happened with Data, mm -hmm. and then allowed to see through Data's eyes. Maybe that was supposed to be what he was getting out of that. So the the next episode of Star Trek Lower Decks is called Something Borrowed, Something Greened. This is when Tendi is summoned to Orion for a wedding. Pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Summoned to Orion for a wedding. We just... Is this... This makes me think of some Betazoid stuff. It makes me think of some Spock stuff. Is it her wedding? Because that's the that's the TNG stuff it's making me think of. Is is it her wedding? And we're just not saying it. And then like the Spock stuff, because wedding, going to your home planet for the wedding. I don't know. On par. AI script. No, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> I was just thinking. If um, if someone were to tie you to the train tracks while a train was coming, and force you to belt out a number between. 
say I don't know one to ten to rate this episode, what number would you would you apply? I really enjoyed this episode. I have to give it a nine. I really liked it a lot. I love that it focused on our characters. I love that we got to see them grow. Um, I loved the jokes. I really, really enjoyed this episode a lot. I've actually enjoyed um, all of Lower Decks, but this has been, this is one of my favorites. I also enjoyed this episode a great deal. I am, uh, I am, I'm enamored that you rated it a nine. I'm glad that you enjoyed it as much as you did. There was nothing wrong with this episode, and I don't think there was anything. Mm, there was nothing missing from this episode. Well, clearly there must have been something missing from this episode because what I'm thinking in my head is an eight. I don't know what it is that brings me down from from a ten. Let's say. Um, it, it just may be that I'm annoyed with the characters, uh, with the characters, um, what is that word? That's the second time I couldn't get that word. Their, their impetus, their, their thing that gets sure. them going. Um, motivation, their motivation. Oh, I, thank you. I'm, I'm stumbling over Boimler's motivation. I'm stumbling over the Ensign's motivation. I'm stumbling hard over Talyn's motivation. I'm stumbling over the motivation of Ransom and this, you know, Fraser's little brother as to like, what is the point of hazing these lieutenants by making them do instant stuff? Like what is, what is the purpose behind that? What's the idea behind that? Are you trying to be examples? Like, is that what they're supposed to pay forward? What's, what's the idea here? Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no real motivation there beyond the last. And it's kind of like some of the throwaway lines so that's why I'm willing to wager, my friend, that that is why you deducted two points. It's because of the two, two off of that score, because of those throwaway lines and because of the fact that, like a lot of Lower Decks episodes, there is something there that should gel as part of the plot, but it's really part of the joke. And that's both something wrong with it and also why it works as a sitcom. Agreed. Again, because there's a point... There was a point now they they sort of came to it at the same time as asking the question but i found myself asking because t they had they had they had touched on it twice the first time tendy was like oh they're hazing us and everybody was like no 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 which number one didn't make sense to me because she should be the one being like no they're starfleet and mariner should be the one being like dude they're totally hazing us and then later when it comes up again they just realize it at that time and i'm like so their plan was to then turn around and haze them back? <laughs> it just ended up that way. Is that really what they're going to do to, like, senior officers? Like, that's how we're going to get them back? Like, I don't I don't know if that's the way that these characters would have gone. I don't understand their motivation for doing that. I don't understand Rutherford's willingness to go along with this plan to run a booby trap on a senior officer. So, yeah, so somehow I end up with an 8 on this episode and I think that's okay it's a good episode of Star Trek I love the story I love the wraparound and I love discussing it with you 
I loved our discussion. This is probably the longest podcast I've ever been on in my life. Uh, I we've we've recorded longer. I I do believe that I'm probably gonna have to cut this apart a lot. So there may be like an a little bonus episode that comes out after the one that's for the episode because there's a lot of hey we weren't talking about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You know, that is my fault because I'm like, hey, look, squirrel. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place. I really am. But I, I love Star Trek and I love discussing it with people who are passionate and knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it. And this is why I listen to your podcast. It's just so much fun. fun. Well, I appreciate that. Um, can you uh, remind us where we can find you and hear you and interact with you? I am Brian Kang. That's I. Mm. I am and B R Y A N C A I N, and on this star date, on Twitter, and uh, Great I am show Brian. Guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very touched by that. Um, we got a new season of of episodes brewing for you, so I'm very excited. Okay. We are uh, don't have a date for you yet, but it is going to be Star Trek and not just Star Trek, but it's also going to be other genre films and television as well. Excellent. So very excited to, uh, and my wife, who is uh, also our executive producer, will also be joining me on the air. So I'm very excited about that. Awesome. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Well, again, um, thank you for coming. This has been a, a load of fun. Uh, I hope that you had fun. Oh, and yeah, um, and uh, Earl Grey would appreciate me saying something along the lines of until next time stay positive dream big and you'll hear from us again soon likewise and my wishes uh, well warm wishes to Earl Grey and his family and thank you again for having me Absolutely. Uh, it's been a blast and uh, I can't wait to return the favor for both of you on, on the stage that would be dope I look forward to it. All right, thanks a lot. I'm going to continue making of this show through Patreon.com. <laughs> Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay, supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works.